Here is time now, getting to, get into the Word of God. Yes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are excited about your Word. Yes, Father. You created the world by your Word. We are born again by the Word of God. Lord, it is the seed of the Word of God that is in us now. We ask you that you will multiply the seed, Lord, as we read this Word, your truth, that will radically transform our lives. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon me as the communicator, Lord, that, that will give me the clarity of mind and speech and all those things, and uh, that the hearers will be blessed and will be touched by your truth. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's all go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, I'm going to start from verse 1. Revelation 11 verse 1. Here we go. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city. Obviously the image is like Jerusalem. For 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, which is the same amount of time, three and a half years, or 42 months. And I will grant authority to my, uh, yeah, for two, uh, 1,260 days, and clothe in sackcloth. These are two olive trees, and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consume their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky and that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some <clears throat> from the peoples of the tribes of the language and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up and on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Verse 13, And at that hour 
there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven, to the God of heaven. Verse 14, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Scary scripture. <laughs> and uh, we've been talking about, you know, this, uh, this is the, the uh, 11th, uh, 18th uh, sermon. And uh, last few weeks, we've, we've been talking about the judgment of God. And uh, when we talk about the judgment of God, we mentioned it last time, is that judgments reveal the character of God, who is loving, holy, and just. Okay? He does not, like I said previously, he does not express his love at the expense of, but in the context of his righteousness and holiness. Neither does he execute his justice in judgment or through judgment at the expense of, but in the context of his love. Okay, so that's the balance. You can't separate those exp uh, expression of the characters of God. And uh, the judgment in Revelation, okay, like, like we said before, is presented in three-part series of sevenfold visions. It's the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. In the case of both the seals and the trumpets, we identify the interludes that are interludes that serve in a way as interruptions between the sixth and the seventh seal as well as the sixth and the seventh trumpets. And the interlude between the sixth and the seventh seals, okay, or in, in the case of the seals, when the sixth seal was opened, there was a cry from kings and princes and generals, and we, we talked about it, and asked for the mountain to pour, to cave them in because they were scared of the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb of God. And then after that, before the seventh, seventh seal, then uh, there was interlude. And in that, it shows that the people in screaming and crying out, yet there was no repentance. It's like as if the John was presenting judgment alone did not produce repentance. So the interlude here presents the, the scene of in the interlude innumerable people from every nation, tongue, and they gather together before the throne of God. The purpose of that presentation is for John's readers to see the two contrasting realities. God's ultimate kind intention for man, mankind and the condition of people who don't know God in that situation. They cry, they, they were afraid, but they didn't repent. But God just showed this is my, my, this is my ultimate uh, intention for mankind. So that's the, the seal. Now for the trumpets, the interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpets the judgment in all the six trumpets, there were cosmic chaos and demonic uh, armies coming, roaming. It's like God allowed even evil forces to, to destroy the evil people. Like he, he allowed evil to destroy evil. And yet even at that point, people did not repent. As you read in chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. So... Uh, 
They didn't repent from murders, from sorceries, from worshiping idols and you know, sexual immorality. It's, it's crazy. Now, this second interlude that we're talking about here, now, this is what we're, we are now, is part of this, that second interlude in the trumpet judgment, which is a bigger interlude than, than the interlude in the seals, because it stretches from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way to chapter 11, verse, verse 14. It presents, this interlude presents the call on the church to prophesy and to bear witness to Christ, even in the, in the face of death. And it begins with John, which we talked about last week, okay? Now, concerning this judgment, all these things that we've talked about, it is as if the judgment, there is a divine restraint on God's part, which allows the ungodly to live on. So God delays the judgment sometimes or prolongs the time of, of the ultimate judgment. Because as long as they live, you know, there is a possibility of them that they might repent. So, uh, once again, this interlude is like God breaks, it's like God, God has, ha, has this agenda of judgment against his people, and yet he interrupted himself with this interlude to awaken two, two groups of people, the wicked so they, so they would repent. So judgment is, the point of judgment is to get them to, to realize, to get their attention, and they would repent. And then his people, so they become the witness for him. Okay? Why is it important for God's people to be a witness to him? Mm -hmm. right? Because God is, like he's almighty. He started with Jesus, okay, in the, in the mm. ultimate redemption as a witness yeah. to him. The word became flesh. God became human to relate to mankind so they can relate to God. But now it's the church. So judgment that is described here, according to the, to the scholars, are relevant to the time of the writing of the Revelation, of the book of Revelation. So it's at that time then. However, with the ultimate end, the heavenly vision as a backdrop, so as to give hope for, for the readers. Okay? So let's... let's uh, Talking about judgment, let's continue and, and let's unpack this, this passage here. But before we get, we get too deep into the passage, some things need to be, uh, to be clarified here in this passage. And uh, well, some things, there are two things actually, the temple and the two witnesses. We need to clarify that so we can flow in, in the passage, all right? The temple, in reading the passage just then, verse one and verse two, some Christians, even today, believe that John was referring to the re rebuilding of the literal temple. As a matter of fact, even in, in America, people, you know, yeah, I, I heard it. People believe like, like Israel is going to rebuild a temple and, you know, like it, that pretty much literal Israel and literal Jerusalem with literal temple. And... Uh, as a matter of fact, some theologians even believe that this was the belief among John's contemporaries, okay? That people in, in John's time, when he was writing this thing, that John's contemporaries would believe this. However, the argument against this view is that it might be true 
if the book of Revelation was written before the year 70 AD, however, most scholars believe that because the writing of the book of Revelation is about the year 19 AD, this interpretation is questionable. So that's where it is. But this is my opinion, okay? This is my opinion. After reading carefully and studying the, the whole of the New Testament, I believe, I want to say this, whatever the term people used, you know, John's contemporaries at that time may refer to, whatever that might, might refer to, it certainly would not mean John's apostolic and ministerial colleagues, and certainly not the believers or the disciples of Jesus. This means that it doesn't matter whether the Revelation was written in the, 19, the year 90 AD or 70, or doesn't matter when it was written. I believe that the belief among the true disciples of Jesus about the temple was clear and, and certain. There's no doubt about it. And that is about the people of God. Let me, let me just tell, show you the scripture. Even at the gospel, at the cleansing of the temple, okay, according to John chapter 2, if you want to write the scripture, John chapter 2, verse 13 to 32. The Jews was asking Jesus at the cleansing of the temple, what sign do you have to do these things? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Obviously, he was referring to himself, his resurrection. Now, this is what John wrote in, in that event of the cleansing of the temple. In John chapter 2, verse 22, he said, that the disciples had the understanding that Jesus, they, the disciples remembered the saying of Jesus at the, of the cleansing of the temple after he was raised from the dead. Okay? In other words, when Jesus said that they, even the disciples didn't understand it, but after the resurrection from the dead, after Jesus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden they remembered, they understood Jesus was not talking about literal temple. He was talking about himself. Okay? So, number one, at least the 12 disciples knew that, no, it's not about the rebuilding of the physical temple, it's about Jesus. Okay? Now, Acts chapter 6, the preaching of Stephen, which is the longest sermon in the whole of the Bible. <laughs> okay? And chapter 6, from chapter 6, verse 13 to chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen's sermon... Okay, when he preached the sermon because the charge was laid against him and they said this man never ceases to speak words against the holy, this holy place, the temple and the law. And here's the point in his sermons that he made. All right, The point he made is this, that he said he, he used the Old Testament. He said, God does not dwell in a house made by hands. Acts chapter 7, verse 48. And then in proving that, that in, in elaborating that, that, that point, he said, he met Abraham and he was still in, in Mesopotamia. Chapter 7, verse 2. God met Moses in Mount Sinai, not in the temple. So, you know, he pretty much points, points it out, it's not about the temple. <laughs> and another disciple, Peter, Pretty much, Peter said in First Peter chapter two, verse four and five. Pretty much, he said, the old temple was destroyed with its scattered stones, 
has been replaced by the temple, not of bricks, but com the coming together of the living stones to Jesus, the living stone. So the conclusion is, it is certain that the true New Testament believers would view the temple that we read in the, in the first verse as the church, the assembly of God's people, the congregation, not the literal temple. So temple is people. And, and the next thing is, I want to talk about the two witnesses. There are a lot of interpretation of the, about these two witnesses, okay? Obviously, the presentation of the two witnesses, they are nameless, but it presents, you know, they're calling down fire and then turning water into blood. So, obviously, people think this is Moses and Elijah. That's the, the typical thing. Now, in the, some Jewish uh, tradition claim that, you know, Elijah called out a fire, and uh, obviously, according to Jewish tra tradition, that Moses didn't die. Actually, he was ascended. He was just like Elijah. He was he went to heaven, according to some Jewish tradition, and even some Christians sort of believe that. But I think the scripture is very clear, because in Joshua chapter one, verse two, God said, "Moses, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you get on with your act. You know, like get on with it. Lead my people into the promised land." So, uh, uh, I don't think this is neither Moses or Elijah. What is it? What are the, these, these two witnesses? What is it? Okay, let me say this. In the Old Testament, Israel was called to be God's witnesses in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 to uh, verse 12, and Isaiah 44. Israel was called by God to be his witnesses. Okay? But in the New Testament, obviously, it's the church. Okay? The church as the, as the witness for, for God. Now, specifically in the book of Revelation, let's look at this word witnesses. Chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus was called the faithful true witness. Okay? And chapter 1, verse 9, John was called a true witness. Chapter 2, verse 13. Antipas, who was executed in the church of, of, uh, um, one, of the, one of the churches, Pergamum, I believe, Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, Antipas was executed. He was called faithful witness. Okay? And of course, the martyrs under the altar in chapter 6, they were called the witnesses. So, the conclusion is, the witnesses is a picture of the church. Let me explain further. And uh, because of the manifestation of power like that of Moses and Elijah, so the, more, the, the common view of, of, of uh, scholars here that the church represents a prophetic witness of the church. Uh, uh, yeah, prophetic. So Moses and Elijah is a picture of the prophetic witness of the church. As a matter of fact, in in verse eleven, uh, chapter eleven, verse four, they were called the lampstands, which in Revelation in the in the first chapter it was called the lampstands are the church. You know the seven lampstands. He said so. This obviously is about the church. 
and uh, as with many other. And here's the thing. So we, we can conclude that the, the two witnesses equals the church. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to, you know, where, where in, in verse uh, 5 where it says that the fire would, would come out of their mouth, it shouldn't be taken literally because that is, the scholars believe that that is taken, he, taken from Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter 5 verse 14 where he says that the word of God, you know, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire and these people would and the fire shall consume them. So in other words, it's the word of God coming out of the mouth of the witnesses and will consume the people for the purpose of redemption, all right? So we, we, got, we got that now. The temple is the people and the, and the two witnesses is the church, okay? Now, let's go, let's go with the flow of the, uh, the passage here. So, in the previous interlude, John received the commission to prophesy. You know, we, we covered that last week. But in this passage, that commission that's given to John is extended and being broadened into the church. So now, in the preparation for the church to be, to be commissioned in this passage... The first step that God told John after eating the, the scroll to be a witness, now prepare the church to be the witness. The preparation is verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. So the pre- preparation, the first step in broadening, broadening this commission, John was told to measure the temple. Okay? What is to be measured? God said, not the outside, not the court. That, that will be taken by, 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 the, uh, by the, uh, the Gentiles. In other words, the, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm interested, God said, to be true temple, I need the inner circle of the temple. And that is the altar and the worshippers. So uh, it's interesting because, of course, once again, this is the image from the Old Testament Daniel as well as Ezekiel. The difference is in Daniel, the, the uh, Daniel speak of the temple being trampled, whereas Ezekiel talk about the temple being restored, which means when you took, put the two things together, pretty much what John is presenting is while there is war against the temple, yet God will preserve the temple, his people, in the situation. Okay? So, so we must keep, keep, in, keep this in mind, okay, that the temple is the faithful believers, just like the Philadelphians, who was promised to be pillars of the temple. In other words, this is the, the temple that God wants, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this vision to measure the temple and the altar and those who worship in, in verse 1, it means... It is meant to motivate us as faithful believers, just like the churches of Smyrna and and Philadelphia, to be faithful believers, even 
to the point of death while maintaining our essence as God's living temple, the true worshippers. Now, it's like God said, I want the church to be a witnesses, but but John he didn't say I he didn't say some translation says, I want you to number the worshippers. No, he said, I want to measure the worshippers. As if to say, I want you to examine the quality of the altars, okay, where people lay down their life for God and worship the quality of their worship. So before we can be true witness and accurate representation of God, God is going to measure who we are. Our essence. The measuring of the altar under which the blood of the martyrs, you know, that same altar, signifies God is measuring the willingness of the believers to testify even to the point of death. That's what it is. If I read from the book of Revelation, that's what this speaks to me. And the measure of the quality of our worship. So this unflinching through worship and devotion to God is the believer's vivid testimony and declaration to the world. It is the kind of life that Paul described in Romans chapter 12, where he said, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Yeah. And it is only after this preparation is done that the church is ready to be witnesses for God. And let's look at the, uh, the verse 3. All right? He said, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, obviously the church now, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, traditionally, sackcloth is when people of God sit down in mourning because of their sin and in, in humility and repentance. So here's the thing. The church, our, our tasu, while prophesying, wearing sackcloth means that the ministry of the church is marked by the spirit of humility and repentance. That is it. Not cocky, but spirit of humility and repentance. It is only those who minister in the spirit of humility. Now listen to this. Because it is only those who sit with sackcloth or clothed with humility and the spirit of repentance that God will give authority. Because in the verse 4 it says, those two witnesses, they're olive trees and two lampstands. They stand before the Lord of the earth and if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth. Like you know, I said before, the words will be so powerful that the word of God will consume people. But that, that happens after we clothe ourselves with sackcloth. The church clothes himself with mm-hmm. humility and spirit of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. So here's the thing. God got John and then John extended that task of being a witness to the church, but he had to measure to make sure the church is up to the task. For us to be up to the task, 
All these things need to take place. Now verse 7 pretty much shows that what happened when God decided that the witnesses, our job, is completed. Okay, when our mission is completed, he said, then when they, they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will, be, will lie in the street and the great city that symbolically called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Obviously, Jesus wasn't crucified in Egypt or Sodom. It's a picture of the world, okay? Okay, it's a picture of the world. For three and a half days, symbolically, some of the peoples and, peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because of those uh, two prophets have been torment, a torment to those who dwell on earth. Now, this is like big picture. Historically speaking, okay, this is like, like I said, all these things happen at that time. Okay? Historically speaking, in ordinary practice, according to the Roman law, civil law, Roman authorities allowed criminals who were executed to be buried before any festival began. In other words, they still pay respect to the dead people. But not to the Christians. That, like in this gruesome vision, okay, the custom is reversed and the public display of the corpses is the occasion of celebration of the slaughter of the Christians. So that's what the scripture is, is portraying is how the Christians were treated by the Romans. Wow. One of the vivid examples is Nero. Christians slaughter, the slaughtering of Christians was a great public spectacle to be seen in the Roman Colosseum. Yeah. That's pretty much what, what, what we read from verse 7 to 10 there. That's described the, the life of the Christians then. As a matter of fact, John Fox wrote in his, his book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Many people have read this book. He wrote this. He said, The tyrannous uh, rage of which emperor was very fierce against the Christians, insomuch that, as recorded by another, another uh, historian, Eusebius recorded, a man might then see cities full of men, men's bodies, the old there lying together with the young, and the dead bodies of women cast out naked without all reverence of that sex in the open streets. That's kind of gruesome. That's pretty much describing what verse 7 to verse, verse uh, 10 says. That is... That is the cost of the testimony, yeah, wow. that Christian paid. But here's the thing, verse 11, but after the three and a half days, a breath of life of God entered 
them. And they stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest of the, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God. Let me say what what this script this few verses is not saying. It's not talking about the rapture. Number one. <laughs> okay, because it's not the sneaky rapture, you know, no, because they, they were dead. In other words, they already been killed. Okay, the church. Okay, number two, it's not about the second coming of Jesus because Jesus wasn't coming then. It was just he called them up. Okay, what it is, is about the hope of the resurrection that just as Jesus, the faithful witness, in uh, chapter 1 verse 5 was raised from the dead the church as God's witness will also likewise be raised from the dead after being killed for their testimony now here's what's interesting all that is fantastic great but this is what what really as I read from, from these passages, what's interesting is that in all the series of judgment that came on the world from the first seal all the way to the fifth trumpet the responses of men were okay between the, the, the sixth seal to the seventh seal they were crying for the mountain to fall and to hide them from, from the, the wrath of God but they didn't repent and continue their, their evil way all the way to all the judgment. Now listen to this. It wasn't until and after the witnesses of the church that we read in verse 13 here. In other words, there was no repentance. So judgment didn't bring repentance to the people. It wasn't until the witnesses of the church that we read and let's read verse 13. At that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified. Can you see, this is the same scenario as the chapter 6, the interlude, uh, the, the, the chapter 6 where the opening of the sixth seal, when people cried out for the mountain to hide them, fall on them and hide them. But he says here, however, right here, it's exactly the same scenario, earthquake and all those things, but here he says, after the eyewitnesses did their job and raised from the dead, he says, the people gave glory to the God of heaven. What, what is the Bible saying here? It's like God, God through judgment and with some sort of divine uh, restriction, if you can, uh, what, what was the word, uh, to, to hold himself back? Restraint. Restraint, divine restraint. 
try to get the people of the world to get their attention. They were fearful, did not repent. Some of them just continued on what they're doing and just whatever. It wasn't until the church bore witness of what God did, what God did or has done in their lives that right now, BC, actually people gave glory to the God of heaven. Wow. Mm. I want to read this as a conclusion. You can, you can actually prepare yourself. In Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where Peter wrote, he said, do not, But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So time means nothing to God. But here's the, the point in, in, in uh, chapter 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count as slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you should perish, but that all, I'll say it again, but that all should come to repentance. The the imagery of Moses and Elijah shows that the ministry of the church is both, especially Moses. Our ministry is, is like a two-edged, double-edged sword of ministry, so to speak. And that is, like, specifically in the book of Revelation, it says they are to prophesy. However, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, I think verse 10, I believe, where it says, we have been made a kingdom of priests. So those two offices, prophets and priests, are the two major offices in the, in the life of the children of Israel. What's the difference? I want to say this. The difference is prophets speak on behalf of God. Prophets sent by God to come and speak to the people. But God said in a Revelation chapter 1, it says, I have made you a kingdom priest. What do priests do? Their job is what prophets speak to the people on behalf of God. Priests go to God, speaking to God on behalf of the people. There's two double-edged sword of, of function here. And the foremost thing when they go to God what do they do they were interceding for the people offering sacrifices so in the passage that we just read obviously it emphasizes the prophetic nature because God wants the church to be to be witnesses who accurately represent God we are supposed to be the ambassadors like Paul Paul wrote in in uh, Second Corinthians, ambassadors for Christ. Yet at the same time, we are to be priests, go to God on behalf of the people. Now here's the thing: like I, I, I was, this is the big question that I always ask myself as I read this passage. Like God, 
I know you're measuring my worship and the altar that I live my life by laying down my life. How am I doing, Lord? Because unless that is taken care of, we will not be effective witness to, to the world. I just talked to my, my brother the other day, yesterday or the day before. And he said to me, Bram, one of uh, my associate pastors nearly died of COVID. He was in the hospital, couldn't breathe, but nearly died. And he said, I said, how was he? He said, it's amazing. He said, the testimony was amazing. He recovered, obviously got healed him, but that is not the, the well, that, that's a great testimony, but during the time while he was going through it, he said, many people in the hospitals, he said, while they were dying, you know what they were doing? They were cursing God. Like, like it was chaotic, especially in Indonesia, you know, like, he said they were cursing God, they were like, well, obviously manifesting, they were horrible, they were horrible to, to the nurses there. He said, but, I'm, he said, I was so proud I'm so proud of my, my associate pastor. He was so surrendered to God and he kept his, his worship towards God. The spirit of joy in him, even though he could hardly breathe. He treated the nurses in the highest, sort of, with the highest attitude and the amazing spirit. When he was healed, he was he's still in the hospital, but when he recovered and the nurses could talk to him, you know what they said to him? Because knowing that he's a he's a, a pastor, they said we go to church to different churches, but when we can go back to like normal church service, could you please give us your church? Because we want to go to your church. Whatever church you, you are you know, watching, he was like, I want to be part of that church. That is the testimony. That is, God's going to measure. When I hear the story of, of the churches in the Western world, like, and I saw even even uh, somebody put something up, like, and present this thing about the condition of churches in the Western world, like, I was like, God, what are we doing, Lord? It's like, and I believe God is saying, I'm measuring the church. I am measuring the altar. I am measuring the worship. Why? It's in preparation for the church to become a witness. And only as the church will witness prophesy being clothed with sackcloth, which means humility, humility and spirit of repentance, will we given will we be given the authority, the power. That's it. That, that is the, the, the message. I think it is important. Why? Because, and the, the, the powerful stuff is like, with all this judgment, like even in, in one of the passages where people curse God, actually. But God meets, just like Jesus, who testified for God. That's why you and I are here, because of the testimony of Jesus. Now guess what? That testimony is extended for you and I to carry now, to become the body of Christ. Yeah. Okay.
Okay, let's just worship God. Father, I don't know where people are at right now. We want to be, Lord. We are not going to be perfect. But, Lord, the only way for us to be, to accurately represent you, is by denying ourselves like you told us to. It's not about us. It's about you and about people in the world. Because, Lord, as I see this, it's, it's when the church gave the, its life, hold the testament even unto death that the people gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. It, was, it wasn't until, before that all the judgment people didn't repent, but when the church gave their life, wearing sackcloth in humility and through death then the people gave glory to God we want to see you glorified bless your people let's just worship God Lord, whatever people are going through here maybe it's hard but Lord, I pray that your people, especially me and my wife, that under our leadership, under Pastor, when we deal with people, when we, in wherever we are, Lord, that the spirit, that the sackcloth, <laughs> that humility and repentance, and, you know, Lord, will clothe us, that people will, will see, who are you people? They might not understand what we're talking about, but they like what they see. Yes, Lord. Okay, guys, go for it. Let's just worship.